So we are on the fourth lesson of our summer quarter. And the title of the lesson is The Sour Grapes Parable. So that'll be a good one. And the scriptures are Ezekiel chapters 18 through 24. So it's a ton of chapters. The quarterly covers one chapter, chapter 18. I'll try to summarize, but I don't know if I'll have time to summarize all of it. Um, anyway, our first section is called The Parable Stated. And so that's uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 9. Somebody want to read that section? Okay, thank you. So yeah, this parable, um, the Jews in the exile... We're saying that, oh, it's because of our fathers who sinned. Our fathers sinned, and, and we're paying the price. And that's this parable. The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. So it was a denial of responsibility. So that, and the Lord is going to correct them on that through Ezekiel here. So verses 1 and 2, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean? By using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. Then he went on to say, verses 3 and 4, As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father, as well as the soul of the son, is mine. The soul who sins will die. So th this is so basic, you know. Each person is individually responsible to God. Every person ever born. In all the judgments des described in the Bible, you are judged alone. You are not judged as a group. You are judged individually, personally. And... Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, sin has been judged for us. Yeah, that's true. The nations, the nation is uh, affected by the righteousness or lack of it of its people and especially of its leaders. Its leaders usually, many times, the leaders, people will be punished for the leader's sin, but. Um, we are judged individually. And for us, like I said, we will not be judged for sin because that was done by Jesus on the cross. And when we put our trust in him, we are in him, and he's paid for our sin. But we are going to face a judgment. As believers, and it's described in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is known as the Bema Seat Judgment for the Christian. And, uh, you know, the moment you trust in Christ, you're headed for glory. Um, but we're waiting for the rapture now. The rapture will get a resurrection bodies, and I'm thinking extremely shortly after that, 
will be this Bema Seat judgment where your works, since your salvation, will be put through a fire. And the works done as a response to faith will survive that fire. And it's based on that that you will be rewarded. So we are going to face a judgment, but it's for reward. It is not for heaven or hell. We are all going to heaven. Um, in this passage that we're going over, one of the things they didn't cover, I'll, I'll try to get to it, is the judgment of living Jews uh, at the be beginning of the millennium. And uh, we'll go over that judgment. Again, that judgment is individual. The question is, you know, they, they do have a bit of a point here. And that is Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments, verses 5 and 6. So this, uh, this parable does have a little bit of, you can see their reasoning. Yeah, and I think that's what this is talking about. This is Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. It says, You shall not worship them or serve them, that's the idols, for I... The Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. So you see the generations there. But showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So you can see why they say that. The fathers eat the sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. He visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations. So how do you reconcile that with this, what he's saying about this parable? That at the same time. Right. You know, the, the way I think of it is that people who are born into an unbelieving family have a disadvantage from people who are born into a believing family um, because parents influence very strongly their children and their behavior. You know, I think that's what happened with Ham and the Canaanites. Remember, Noah cursed Ham's fourth son after he, you know, was saying, oh, look, Dad's naked in the tent. Let's go, you know, <laughs> mock him now. And uh, Noah, you know, influenced by the Holy Spirit, did not curse Ham, he cursed Canaan. Well, why is that? Because Canaan was raised by Ham, and he inculcated his father's perversions, basically. So, um, but you're still responsible to the Lord, even if you're born into a bad family. You're responsible to the Lord yourself personally and because everyone is given a conscience yeah everyone is given a conscience and even if mom and dad are deep in sin you know if you say well i'm going to do it too you will pay the price for that personally yeah and that's why this verse is important this first corinthians 15:33 says do not be deceived bad company corrupts good morals. So your friends, your acquaintances, and that includes your family, influences your own behavior. So you want to have friends that are um, godly.
you want to choose good friends. If if you have God, uh, you know, God-hating friends, they will influence you because you want to please them since you're, they're your friends. So you want to watch your associates. Proverbs 4.23 says essentially the same thing. Watch over your heart with all diligent diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So you want to guard your heart. And so I think that is how that Exodus passage goes, because the parents influence the children, but the children are themselves responsible to the Lord personally. For if they, number one, believe in him, and number two, listen to what he says and obey it. So verses 5 and 6. Now the parable goes on and it gives three generations of a single family. And verses 5 and 6 says, But if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness and does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during her menstrual period, it talks about a man being righteous. You notice that this is all works here. This is all works. He practices justice and righteousness. He does not eat at the mountain shrines. He does not commit adultery. He does not have sex with a woman during her period. So um, this is someone you would think who is trusting the Lord. And so he has imputed righteousness through the trust. And that motivates him to obey the Mosaic law. Okay, that's what's going on here. Right, that's because he believes. That's he because he believes. I want to just point out. I'm saying they're more than their laws. Their actions. Yeah, but I'm just saying. Yeah, their actions. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. I agree. So, um, so this, you know, Ezekiel is like all the Old Testament prophets was drawing people back to the Mosaic covenant. We are under the law of Christ, and there is a great deal of overlap between the Mosaic Covenant and the law of Christ. This passage has a couple of exceptions to that. So in verse 6, at the end of the verse, it says, Don't approach a woman during her menstrual period. That is part of the Mosaic Covenant. It is not a part of the law of Christ. So that is a difference between the two. And that goes back to Leviticus 18.19. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness during her menstrual impurity. What is similar in Ephesians 4.28, there is overlap. And... uh, this, this is based on generosity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. And that's, that's from verse 7. If a man does not oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery, 
but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. So here the Mosaic law and the law of Christ overlap. Yeah, and verse 8 says, If he does not lend money on interest or take increase, if he keeps his hand from iniquity and executes true justice between man and man. So the second half of that verse is overlap. We want to execute true justice between people, but the uh, prohibition on lending money is not in the law of Christ. This was not a total prohibition. They were able to charge interest to Gentiles. They were, could charge interest to Gentiles, but not to another Jew. They, If they loaned, it would be at 0% interest to another Jew. That is not found in the law of Christ. This is the difference between saving faith and uh, where did I read about this? Lewis Berry Schaefer, Schaefer writes about this. I think saving faith versus serving faith. Saving faith is based on belief. It's not based on action. And this is from Romans 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. That is what is required to get you to heaven. Because when you believe, Jesus' righteousness is transferred to you. What Ezekiel is talking about here is what James was talking about. And the way we teach this is this does not concern your salvation, heaven or hell. It concerns your reward. And this is James 2, verse 14, where it says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Okay, so you're saved by... The people in Ezekiel's day were saved by the promise of the coming Savior, the Messiah. The, yeah, yeah. The, they they believed in they believed that that God would save them. And we look back on it, so we have an advantage because it's already happened. We've seen it happen. It's in history, and we believe on that same Messiah. But once you are saved. The Lord's desire for you is to listen to what else he says. <laughs> what else he says? He says a lot of things. And this first generation in the sour grapes parable listened to God and he did what he said. So James 2:24 says You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, now if you look at the context of James, a lot of people screw this up. This is ju being justified before other people. It is not before God. You're justified before God by your thought. People can't see your thought. Other people see your actions. And you're justified. Other people say, that guy believes in God. Because he does what God says. 
and they may get angry at you <laughs> because of that. <laughs> you know, if they're, you know, going the other way. But that's what he's talking about. And so this is a man who trusts in the coming Savior, and so he listens to God, and he does what he says. So verse 9, if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live. And when he's talking about life here, he's talking about physical life and the Babylonian attack. That's what he's talking about. The people who will, are in obedience to the Mosaic law, God knows who they are, they will survive the Babylonian attack. Okay, so the parable refuted now, eight, 10 through 18. So this is the second and third generations of this family. I'll, I'll read that section. Verse 10, then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and who does any of these things to a brother, though he himself did not do any of these things. That is, he even eats at the mountain shrines and defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore a pledge, but lifts up his eyes to the idols and commits abomination. He lends money on interest and takes increase. Will he live? He will not live. He has committed all these abominations. He will surely be put to death. His blood will be on his own head. Now behold, he has a son, so this is the grandson now, who has observed all his father's sins, which he committed, and observing does not do likewise. He does not eat at the mountain shrines, or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, or defile his neighbor's wife, or oppress anyone, or retain a pledge, or commit robbery, but he gives his bread to the hungry, and covers the naked with clothing. He keeps his hand from the poor does not take interest or increase, but executes my ordinances and walks in my statutes. He will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was not good among his people, behold, he will die for his iniquity. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them, he shall surely live. The person whose sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. Oh, I read too far. I'm sorry. We'll have to do it again. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, verses 10 through 13 is the son of the first guy. The son of the first guy. And he did exactly the opposite of what his dad did. With the addition of, he was violent and he shed blood. So, he added murder to his list of crimes. Um, he was not a good example. Yeah, participated in all the sins his father avoided. He will surely be put to death. What the Lord is saying, he's prophesying that in the Babylonian 
siege and attack, that person would die. Yeah, I, I think if you're a righteous person, because uh, back in, what was it, chapter 10, Ezekiel saw angels marking on the foreheads that, you know, if you're still in the city, Jeremiah was in the city, and he didn't die. Yeah, well, you know, and so, so this is from the quarterly about this. It says, righteousness is not hereditary. It cannot be passed from parents to children like uh, hair or eye color. Neither does the mere presence of righteous people cause their righteousness to rub off on those around them. Righteousness is strictly is a strictly individual matter involving one's own personal relationship with the Lord. That is true. You know, you can't, you, you try to teach your children to obey the Lord. You try. But ultimately, it's their responsibility to do it. Yeah, it's ultimately, you cannot force it. You can only teach it, and you can pray about it, and you can do your best to do it yourself, as an example, um, that's all you can do. Provide the right environment. Yeah. Yeah, that is your job. Yeah, and I think that's that Exodus passage, you know, talks about, you know, the iniquity from the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. It's because the environment was toxic where the kids are being raised. And so... Mo you know, it's easy to follow sin because we have that nature already, tendency. Yeah, so judgment, um, Jan is right, though. I mean, nations uh, are judged as nations, and there's no salvation for nations. They're judged based on their works, and usually it is their leaders who do this, but individually... Um, we are judged individually as people. And thankfully for believers in the church, it is for reward. I already read Second Corinthians 5.10, but this is First Corinthians 3, uh, 10 through 15, which we've read before many times, but it's very good. So 10 through 15. Yeah, no problem. So according to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you can't build anything worthwhile. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, so one is imperishable, the others are perishable. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work, not the man, his work. If any man's work, which he has built on it, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So we all, and the second Corinthian passage says, it is not optional. This judgment will happen for each one of us, and we cannot opt out. We cannot audit it. 
<laughs> we will take it. <laughs> yeah, so we will we will each stand by ourselves before Jesus. He will review our works since we believed. Some works will burn because it's not done out of faith. I will have a lot of those. Yeah, the but the stuff that has done out of faith in him will survive, and that will be converted into our crowns that we can, will glorify the Lord with throughout eternity. Yeah, so, you know, I I used to be very concerned about that. Yeah, that Second Corinthian passage says, look at your works done in the body, whether good or bad. I'm thinking, oh, my bad ones. Oh, man, I don't even want anybody to see that, <laughs> you know. But, um, yeah, but, yeah, so those are not works done out of faith. So unbelievers also, if you decide through your life that, you know, Jesus has nothing to do with you, you can't do anything, it's, it doesn't even relate to me, well, you also will be judged individually, and you'll be before the same person as we will before Jesus. And this is in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, now this is the dead that have not participated in the first resurrection. The first resurrection, the three phases of the first resurrection have already passed. So these are all unbelievers. So I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So the Lord is going to check again. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. So that's the book of works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You, you're written in the book of life when you trust in this Redeemer. That is how your name is written in the book of life. We look back to Jesus. People in Ezekiel's day looked forward to some Redeemer God told them about. And uh, so every person will individually stand in front of Jesus and be judged. If you are an unbeliever, can you imagine how that will be? Yeah, it will be... It will be horrific. It will be horrific if you're an unbeliever. So... This makes me want to say the gospel for the people online. You can avoid this horrific judgment. You can be put into the judgment for reward by this. This is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. According to the scripture, he died. He rose again. According to the scriptures, he made a promise. If you trust in him, he will grant you eternal life, and you will never face the great white throne judgment. Well, I can't imagine. So I can't imagine yeah, that they will. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. But See, they're. Already wrote so messed up yeah. That. At that point, the deception will be gone. They are deceived. 
willingly deceived. And at that point, the deception will be gone. And that, you know, I, I heard something about Anton LaVey, who founded the Church of Satan in San Francisco, on his deathbed. On his deathbed, he said, Oh, I made a mistake. And he died. That's what they're going to think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what they're going to Oh, I made a mistake. Yeah. It's going to be terror. Yeah. That is why they call it good news. That's why they call it salvation. This is what we are saved from. This is what we are saved from. Okay, so we're on section C, the principle explained. That's verses 19 through 23. Can I get a reader for that one? Okay, yeah, so this is um, verse 19 is the, he will surely live, he will live through the Babylonians. And then uh, verse 20, and that says, uh, yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity when the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them? He shall surely live. And then uh, 20, the person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. So righteousness is individually judged. And then from the quarterly again, Ezekiel explained that it was possible to escape the coming Babylonian destruction through repentance. If the wicked turn from their disobedience and sin to a life of righteousness and obedience to God, then they would be delivered from God's judgment upon Israel. And then verses uh, 21 through 23, verse 23, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? That's a rhetorical question answers the Lord God, or rather than that, he should turn from his ways and live. Every person who dies in their sin makes God sad. Um, he does, you know, he doesn't want that. But he made us in his image. We are image bearers. He has given us that choice. And so um, that, I'm sure that makes him incredibly sad. Uh, but he won't force us. He will cajole and, and uh, you know, try to convince, but he won't force. And that's the, that's the attitude we should have, too, because people who are ungodly make us angry. They make me angry. They tick me off. But I should have this same attitude that God has. I don't want to see their death. That's why we pray. And we tell them about the gospel. Without the gospel, everything else is worthless. We should only tell an unbeliever about the gospel. <laughs> we don't tell him about his sin. His sin is irrelevant until he believes in Jesus. Yeah, your sin is erased the moment you believe in Jesus. So if you don't believe in Jesus, you're toast. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You must believe in Jesus. Yeah, it's it, telling people the gospel is difficult because it's offensive to them, and they get angry with you.
You say, you need somebody else. You are not adequate on your own. That's the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what the Lord does, isn't it? The Lord puts you into dire straits till you realize, I'm, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> so section D is the principle applied. That's 24 through 32. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that a wicked man does, will he live? All his righteous deeds which he has done will not be remembered. For his treachery which he has committed and his sin which he has committed, for them he will die. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not right. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not right? Is it not your ways that are not right? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies because of it, for his iniquity which he has committed, he will die. Again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he has committed, and practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all his transgressions, which he has committed, he will surely live. He shall not die. But the house of Israel says the way of the Lord is not right. Are my ways not right, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not right? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions, so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. So verse 24, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that a wicked man does, will he live? So what does that mean? That's true. That's true. Righteousness is not a stored commodity. It is not stored up. What righteousness is, is fellowship with the Lord. When you're in fellowship with the Lord, you're righteous. When you're out of fellowship with the Lord, you are not righteous. And a believer who is saved and going to heaven can be in that category too. Unbelievers are always in that category, no matter how good their works look. But believers can be in that category, and so this could be Verse 24 could be a believing Jew who had been walking with the Lord in fellowship through obedience to the Mosaic Law and decides for some reason to fall away, to do something else. And so the Lord is saying, I'm going to take you home if you do that. I'll take you home. Yeah, yeah. Like That's what happened to Moses. He was taken home instead of going into the promised land because of his sin. So, um, yeah, Moses, the great lawgiver, um, suffered this. So righteousness is not like a, a bank account. Yeah, you know, practical righteousness is just being in fellowship with the Lord. When you're in fellowship with the Lord, righteousness will flow out of your life. When your fellowship with the Lord is broken, that will stop. And the Lord eventually, and you know, that's why we have 1 John 1, 9. 
We confess our sins, said, yes, Lord, I agree, I sinned there. And he will put us back into fellowship. And then the righteousness will flow out of our life again. Um, and if we wait, like David did, David waited for a while before he confessed, the Lord will turn up the heat on us <laughs> and we'll become more and more uncomfortable until we do confess or he will take us home, one or the other. So that's how it works in the believer. Um, yeah, righteousness is a moment-by-moment -moment thing. It's fellowship with the Lord. So verse 25, you say the way of the Lord is not right. Now that's pretty silly. Here now, see, they were arrogant, weren't they? They're saying that, no, the Lord's not right. What does he know? So, you know... Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, when the question is, well, who is right? It's a person or the Lord? Well, that's a pretty easy choice, usually. Verse 27, again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he has committed, and practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life. Now, that doesn't seem fair, does it? Yeah, I mean, this is God's grace here. So a guy is going along, just doing whatever he wants. He's in sin. You know, the Lord has not killed him yet. Eventually he will. But something caused him to decide, I should not do that anymore. Something. Maybe he was saved. Maybe this is a person who was saved. And he changes his mind about things. And he starts to grow. And he starts to be in fellowship. And he starts to do what the Lord asks, okay? That person will be saved from the Babylonian attack here in this context right here. He will be saved because righteousness saves. Practical righteousness saves. Yeah, eternally. Yes. Yeah, and temporally, practical righteousness saves. Yeah, so now um, I need to speed up here. So, verse 28, righteousness motivated by faith will save. Faith alone will save eternally, but faith coupled with growth will save in this life. And then verse 31, yeah, the Lord is asking them to do something that is impossible for them to do. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Well, that is something only God can do. And that happens when we trust him. When we trust him in the church age, I, you know, I don't know the mechanism in the Old Testament saints, because the Holy Spirit worked differently back then. He would come on people, he would go off of people, he would come on, but they were saved the same way. They were saved by trust in this coming Savior. That's what saved them. And uh, when we are saved, the Holy Spirit enters us eternally. We are possessed <laughs> by the Holy Spirit, and we have a new nature that responds to the Holy Spirit. And I think probably they did, you know, although that is just my surmise. I don't have a... Well, it says throughout the Old Testament, every prophet is intended... Okay, I, I want to tell you one thing. So, 
We've skipped six chapters. But I want to tell you. Okay, Dana's going to give us some here. I'm going to tell him about the. Come on. I'm going to tell him about the Ezekiel uh, judgment in the wilderness. Okay, so this is one of the four judgments in Scripture. And this is judgment on the living Jews, the beginning of the millennium. Okay, and it's Ezekiel 20. And uh, verses 33 through 38, so it says, this is as God is drawing the Jews back into their land. It says, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. So it's not friendly. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. This is an individual judgment like the others. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you, mandatory, pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant, and I will purge from you the rebels. And those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. They will be executed. The unbelievers will be executed, and they will wait in Hades for the great white throne judgment. So they get to go through two judgments. Isn't that fun? (laughs) Anyway, Lord, we thank you for uh, Ezekiel. He's challenging, but he's very, uh, he tells it like it is. And we need to listen. In Jesus' name, amen.